ever thought to yourself, why doesn't my client understand what I'm designing? Or why don't they see what I see in the color blue or the font faces that we use in this design? Understanding a client, understanding another person that you're having a conversation with or trying to convince them of your point of view in a message is probably the most important thing in life, but certainly in, in business, right? So, so many of us struggle with, you know, they say raise your rates and, you know, niche down on something and, and really focus in on what you're good at. But even if you do that, you still have to convey that message. And the best way to do that is to understand your customer, understand your client. In fact, it's like the baseline of marketing, right? So, so many of us are just looking for tools and hacks and growth strategies to uh, selling more and finding more clients through funnels and Facebook ads. But none of that is useful if you don't know who you're marketing to and you don't know how they see your services or see the world. They might not even be the right fit for your service. Morton Ren Hendrickson joins the Matt Report today and he blows it away. It is an amazing, amazing episode about understanding your customer, understanding your customer's customer, and understanding human beings in general. This is an amazing episode. I really hope you enjoy it. MattReport.com slash subscribe. Join the mailing list. Season four starts on October 20th. So make sure you stay connected. Join the mailing list. There's going to be some fun stuff coming to the Matt, Re Matt Report. I hope you enjoy it. Let's get into the show. All right. I want you to close your eyes and think of a tree. You see the tree? Now open your eyes again and find something to draw on, a piece of paper, your phone, anything really, and draw a simple drawing of that tree. And while you do that, let me introduce myself. My name is Morton. I live in Vancouver, Canada, and I am a senior staff instructor at LinkedIn Learning and Lynda.com, where I create courses about WordPress and front-end development, pretty much anything that has to do with the web. I've been working with WordPress since 2006, and I've built sites for everyone from single individuals to organizations and small companies to political parties and banks and multi multinational corporations. It's just you know, anyone who wants a website. The reason I use WordPress is not only does it make it easy for me to do what I do, but it makes it easy for my clients to manage their own websites. And that's really the whole point of WordPress. It doesn't just, it's not built for us, the developers. It's actually built for the end user, the people who want to publish their content online so they can reach their audience. Are you done drawing your tree? All right, let me guess. If you're in North America, there's a good chance your tree kind of looks like a stem of broccoli. It's this bubbly, cloudy thing on top with a stem on the bottom. There's a slight chance that you may have drawn an elongated triangle instead, sort of like a Christmas tree with a trunk on the bottom. And some people will always draw a dead tree or a tree with no leaves on it. Now, depending on where you are located in the world, this tree that you drew may be different. In North America, people have a tendency of drawing these broccoli trees. In Northern Europe, people have a tendency of drawing these triangular trees. And it depends on where they are and what types of trees they see the most. So why am I asking you to draw a tree? It seems kind of far-fetched and weird, right? Well, 
I do a lot of teaching in universities and in workshops and everything else. And this is an exercise I do right off the bat to set the tone of understanding of how we communicate. So in these classes, and this never fails, I get about 80% who draw the broccoli trees. I get about 20% who draw these triangular trees. And there's always one person who draws a dead tree. It doesn't matter how big or small the group is. There's always one person who draws, draws a dead tree. And this matters because... When we try to communicate with each other and use words to do so, we use words assuming that they mean the same thing for everyone involved in the conversation. But the reality is it doesn't. And we don't really know how the people we are talking to understand the words we use. So for example, when I say tree, I'm thinking of a specific tree. And when you hear the word tree with no other information, you think of a specific tree too. But there is almost a guarantee the two trees we are thinking of are completely different trees. And that means our understanding of what we are talking about is fundamentally different right off the top. In all our interactions with people, with clients, with anyone, it's important that we speak the same language. And when I say the same language, I'm not just talking about using the same words. Language also includes cultural, historical, and shared knowledge. And unless we have a shared platform, we can't really understand each other unless we're being very specific. To be productive, you must learn the language of the person you are talking to. The onus is on you to learn that language because you are more aware of communication than most of the people you talk to simply because you are working with a communication platform. Now, if you really think about it, every single person has what's known as a horizon of understanding. This is a term we use in philosophy, and it's a really useful term to know. The idea is, as you grow up and through your entire life, you've developed an understanding of the world based on what you see and what you experience and how your particular brain is wired together. All of this forms your horizon of understanding. And anytime you're looking at something or interacting with something in the world, you're doing it based on your horizon of understanding. Now, people who grow up in the same community, in the same uh, overall area, and with the same exposure to things, they have sort of similar horizons of understanding. But if you meet people who didn't grow up in your community or who have a completely different religion or different culture, they'll have fundamentally different horizons of understanding from you. And that means communication, even though it looks like it's working, may not be working at all. Let me give you a really simple example. The word love in English is a really generic term. It can mean a lot of things. So, for instance, you can love your wife or your girlfriend or your boyfriend. You can love your children. You can love your dog. You can love your parents. You can love food, the weather, a specific tree, pretty much anything. Love is a very general term that you can use to apply some sort of desire or affection or just um, general happy reaction to any element. Now, if you take the word love and you directly translate it into my language, Norwegian, you get a word, you get the word elsker. And the word elsker specifically means romantic love. So you can imagine if a Norwegian sees the sentence, I love peanut butter, translated directly into Norwegian, it'll say, I have romantic love for peanut butter. That's not what's being communicated, but through literal translation, that's what it says. 
So even simple concepts like love, I know it's not that simple, but you know what I mean. Even simple concepts like love can get really wrecked when you start translating them into different languages. And it's not just when they're translated into different languages. Take a person like me. I grew up in Norway. I spent the first 22 years of my life there. So English is my second language, which you will hear as this podcast progresses. And because of that, when I see an English word, I have a tendency of translating it to my language, understanding it through my perspective and my culture, through my horizon of understanding, and then interpreting it that way. And that results in all sorts of miscommunication and a lot of frustration, both for me and for the people I talk to, because we're not actually speaking the same language, even though we're using the same words. This same thing happens anytime you interact with a client or their client, so the end user of anything you build. You are not speaking the same language. And being aware of this will make you a better developer or designer or a site creator. And it'll make for a better process as you walk through any development of any site or even any creation of content for anyone else. I think I said this already, but to be productive, you must learn the language of the people you work with and the people you talk to. The best analogy I can give you is a doctor. So if you know someone who is a doctor or anyone who's worked in the medical profession, you should ask them about their experience during rotation. Rotation is an awesome thing that doctors have to go through that I think we need in the web community. So after you go to medical school and you learn all the technical things about being a doctor, so technically the language of being a doctor in a very literal sense, you have to go to a hospital and work through a rotation. In the rotation, you literally rotate through all the different departments in the hospital to learn their language. You learn their language, you learn their goals, and you learn their needs. And that way, you're able to communicate with each of these departments and also assign a patient to the correct department and give them the information they need to be able to treat that patient. Without rotation, doctors would not be able to do their job properly because they would be highly specialized and unable to communicate with anyone who specialized in a different field. In web design, we're almost, almost all of us are highly specialized and we have almost no skills to communicate with other people who are working in our field. And what makes it even more complicated now is most people who work in web design are freelancers who work directly with clients. So even though they have no direct uh, language sharing with other people who work in web design, at least they're in the same context. When those people start talking to clients who just want a website built, the, the gap between the languages is so big, it's often impossible to actually have a meaningful conversation. Now I say that and you're like, that's not true. I have meaningful conversations with my clients all the time. Do you really? Think about it. How many times have you talked to a client and they've said something and you're like, no, 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 that's not how it works. Or you've had, the you've had to walk your client through something like resetting their cache. Or you've said, well, we're not going to support Internet Explorer 6 because it's a crappy browser or something like that. All these things are instances where your language separates from their language and you're not really having a conversation that is meaningful for both parties. This results in all sorts of conflicts, both online and off. It results in all sorts of broken relationships. And more importantly, it results in a lot of crappy solutions being built for the web. You see, a lot of communication is based on assumptions. 
We assume we have a shared history. We assume we have a shared perspective. We assume we have a shared experience. But in reality, we really don't, especially because we are now working in a global world. If you met me on the street in North America, you would assume I'm from here, but I'm not. So my understanding of pretty much everything in the world is fundamentally different from yours if you grew up in North America. The thing is, I've become enough of a chameleon to pretend like I came from here because it avoids a lot of weird conversations. But at the same time, my understanding of what's happening is different. And when I try to communicate things to North Americans, I often fall into traps where I say something or I imply something that is not understood on the other end. So I have to be extra careful with communicating both that I'm not sure I understand what people are saying and that when I say something, I'm communicating in such a way that they will understand what I actually mean without any implied inference or anything like that. This also extends to any time you work with people in a company or people within your own company or anything else. You cannot assume you have a shared experience unless you've been working with those people for a very long time. When lynda.com was bought by LinkedIn, uh, we got a lot of emails that had references like LLS or MLS or LLS or LMSL. Like There were just a lot of these acronyms floating around. And for the longest time, I read them and I thought I understood them because they seemed to make sense and they're familiar to me. But when I asked someone else at LinkedIn who had been there for a long time what they meant, it turned out I was wrong. But the thing is, the company is so ingrained in their own language and it's such an in language that no one is consciously aware that this is a specialty language. So no one is explaining what any of these terms means unless you ask. And once those meanings become apparent, everything changes because now you realize, oh, I've misunderstood everything we've been talking about up until this point. That same thing happens when you talk to your client and especially when you talk to the client's end user. Because if you think about it, you have two different roles here, and each of those roles have specialty languages. So you have specialty language around web design and development. Your client has specialty language around their product. And both of you are trying to reach this third party that doesn't share any of that specialty language, any of that history, any of that perspective. That's a real challenge, especially if you're not aware of it. It all boils down to this thing called focal versus tacit knowledge. So all the knowledge you have in your head, well, most of it anyway, is what's known as tacit knowledge. Tacit knowledge is this thing where you know something, but you're not really thinking about it. I equate it to something like riding a bike. If you know how to ride a bike, you know how to ride a bike. And if someone gives you a bike, you can always ride it. But if someone asks you to explain to them in words how to ride a bike, it's really hard because it's something that's kind of built into your system. But riding a bike is not something that you just know when you're born. You learned it and someone had to teach you how to do it. And you probably fell off a million times because they were having such a hard time communicating it. Writing a bike is tacit knowledge. Another example is an x-ray. If you ever got an x-ray done of your torso and you've seen that x-ray, you will know it's basically just a blobby gray mess. But if an x-ray doctor comes in and looks at it, she'll say, see over here is the liver and here's the kidney and this is what we're actually looking for and da da da. And you're looking at it and be like, uh-huh, uh-huh, this is all just a gray mess. If you ask that doctor to explain what she's looking for and she is not a teaching doctor, 
there's pretty much a guarantee she will not be able to communicate it to you. And even if she was a teaching doctor, there's a good chance that you would still not see what she's seeing because it requires so much experience. That again is tacit knowledge. Tacit knowledge in our profession is a huge problem because tacit knowledge is a knowledge that we're not really aware of and we're not, we're not aware of it. We're not communicating that knowledge to other people. We just assume they also have it, which is not the case. The most classic example of this is the hamburger menu. If you talk to people in the web community, most people will tell you that they just use the web, they use the hamburger because everyone understands the hamburger. The reality is anyone in the actual web community understands the hamburger just fine, but most people, unless they've been exposed to it before and have had it explained to them, do not understand what the hamburger menu is. They just see these three lines and then they ignore them and move on so they never get to whatever's hidden beneath it. This is the end result of tacit knowledge. Because you know what the hamburger is and you've become so acquainted with it, you're no longer thinking about what it is. It's just something you use for menus. It makes sense. For other people who don't have that tacit knowledge, the hamburger me menu means nothing. And unless you communicate to them that it does, they won't understand what it is unless they touch it by accident. So what we need to do, and what you need to do anytime you interact with anyone, is try to move your tacit knowledge and turn it into focal knowledge. Now, focal knowledge is a completely different type of knowledge. It's where you not only know what you're doing and you're aware of what you're doing, it, call it technical mild mindfulness or something else, but you're also able to explain not only what you are doing, but why you are doing it to another person in such a way they will understand even if they're not an expert. This is an incredibly valuable skill, and there are several reasons for this. First of all, when you're in a client's uh, situation and you need to do something, build a website, and you need to make decisions about something, knowing how to communicate not only what you are doing, but why you are doing it, why it matters, can make the difference between actually building a better website or adding some crap into the website that shouldn't be there. When I go into client meetings and they almost always ask me if I can add a slider, I explain to them exactly why that's a bad idea from an Excel accessibility standpoint, from a technical standpoint, and most importantly, from a user experience standpoint. Instead of saying sliders are bad, I say, research shows no one interacts with sliders, and then I give them my phone and scroll to any site that has a slider, and I say, watch how you navigate this site. And they'll immediately scroll past the slider. And I say, see how no one interacted with that slider? That's why we're not putting it on the site, because it doesn't matter. But I can only do that because I deliberately made the no my knowledge about sliders focal. I brought it up into my attention so that I can explain it to other people. And we have to do that with almost all the decisions we make because we need to communicate to our clients why we're doing them. Otherwise, they won't be able to understand it and they'll think that we're just doing it because we're lazy or, we could, or we're doing it because we don't listen to them or something else. Communicating your knowledge to your client in such a way they understand it makes for a better relationship. But this has to go one step further. It's not enough to communicate your knowledge with your client and have your client communicate their knowledge to you. You also have to communicate your knowledge to the end user, the people who go to the website. And that sounds weird because they're not your clients, right? And they shouldn't really need to know anything about the website. Well, the reality is good user experience design and good accessible design 
is designed that works for everyone without having to explain itself. It's like that thing people say, a joke is only good if you don't have to point out the, point, the punchline. Well, it's the same thing with design and development. If you develop something, people should be able to figure it out without sharing your knowledge base because most people are not web developers and most people shouldn't need to be web developers. They should just get solutions that they can figure out on their own. So when you work on a client project, you not only need to be able to communicate your expertise to your clients so they understand why things are done a certain way, you need to acquire your client's understanding and your, your client's language and expertise so you can build them the solution they need. And you have to figure out a way of communicating their expertise to the end user. So the end user gets the information they need not only to use the application, but get the information that they're looking for on the application. Your actual job is not to build a website for your client. It's to build a website for your client's client. If you're successful, the people who use the website will have their goals met and exceeded. But that can only happen if you speak their language and understand their goals and needs. Now, you may have heard talk about content strategy and how important it is. This is in a large and very general sense what content strategy is all about. You get to know the end user, their needs and their goals, then you learn their language to be able to build them a solution that they can use. So all of this really boils down to some pretty simple principles. When you are doing things, building a website, talking to a client, pretty much interacting with anyone else in the world, do a couple of very simple things. First of all, get rid of all your jargon and all your specialized language. It sounds fancy, but it's useless in communication. Learn to explain everything you're doing in plain words and explain what's happening and why that's happening in plain words. When I was in high school, uh, we switched teachers and I went from a Norwegian teacher teaching me English to an American teacher teaching me English. And the most important thing he did was he said, in this class, no one ever speaks Norwegian. So when you learn English, what you, or sorry, no one ever speaks English. No, sorry, no one ever speaks Norwegian. When you learn a new language, there's a lot of time spent on understanding words. And what you normally do is you say, here's a word, what does that mean? And then you look it up in the dictionary and you see your own language explanation of that word. Well, what my teacher said was, when you hear a word in English and you don't know what it is, someone else has to explain to you what that means in English, so you're still in the same context. That's what needs to happen at the top level. You need to be able to take any technical aspect of what you do and explain it in plain English or whatever language you is to the person you are talking to. And you have to explain it in such a way that even the person that you are talking to, if, even if that person has zero previous knowledge of what you're talking about, they should still understand it. And that extends to what you do as a web developer, and it also extends to what your client does. So when someone comes into your client's website, they should be able to understand why they're there and have their goals met without having to have any specialized information. Second, be aware of your own privilege and bias. Now, when I say those words, people always react because they have a lot of political connotations today. But what I'm talking about is specifically your privilege in your privileged knowledge of technical aspects and your bias as in your bias towards your own tacit knowledge. 
because you work with WordPress all the time, you have a lot of privileged information about how WordPress works and how the web works that the people who are interacting with the things you build don't have. So you can't make any assumptions about what is intuitive or what is easy to understand or what everyone should just know. You have to assume people don't know any of this stuff and you have to be consciously aware of all of that privileged information that you carry. Likewise, you have to get rid of your biases. The most, pro the most uh, obvious example of this is people's uh, insistence on using specific browsers. You will have heard this time and time again. Someone builds a website and talks about something and they're like, Internet Explorer version 6, 7, 8, whatever. Or they say, why would you be using this browser? You should be using this browser instead. The reality is this is all bias. You are biased towards whatever tools you like and you use the most, but your bias towards a tool is irrelevant to the people you are building an application for. You're building a web application. You're not telling people how to use it. So even though you have a preference for a specific browser, you can't impose that preference on other people. That's actually what got us into the mess with Internet Explorer to begin with. In the beginning of the history of the web, we had two browsers and they tried to make their code so proprietary that people had to choose one. We fought for 10 years to get web standards to get away from this problem. And anytime you start talking about how one browser is better than the other, or even worse, put something on your website to ensure that people switch from one browser to another, you are doing that exact thing. You are forcing people to use one browser over another rather than following the web standards. You're letting your bias control your decision making. When, I, when people ask me, how do I become a successful WordPress developer? I always tell them, the first thing you need to know is to be able to build what you build with WordPress without WordPress. Because WordPress is a bias. It's just a tool that you're used to using. But the tool just generates code for the web. And what you need to do to be a successful web developer is know how to build websites regardless of what tool you're using. To get around this, simply know, simply focus your attention on what you know and write down anything you're doing to explain to yourself while you're doing it. Create documentation, create code comments, write breakdowns of what's happening when you do something, and most importantly, create tutorials for your clients that actually show how things work. Because if you bring all that uh, tacit knowledge into focus by actually explaining it to other people, you'll realize not only why you're doing it, but how it works. And you'll also catch points where you maybe made assumptions that you shouldn't have made because you're using your tacit knowledge or your bias or your privilege to make a decision. Most importantly, remember there is no guarantee we all understand the same things the same way. The web is global. Anytime you put content on the web, you can't control who accesses that content or where they are. So it's not enough to say, oh, well, only people in North America are going to go to this website unless you somehow geo-block the website to only North America. The reality is you don't know the people who are going to go to that website. And even if they are geo-blocked to only North America, you don't know their background. So you can't make assumptions about a shared experience or shared history or shared culture or shared religion or shared anything. You have to make sure that anything that happens on the web is set up in such a way that anyone can understand what you're trying to communicate, even without shared experience. And you have to add to that translation. You can't assume that everything that you're doing is being translated properly. So you need to make sure you give enough information for people to truly understand what you're trying to communicate.
Finally, bake in some careful cultural sensitivity and awareness. Make no assumption about uh, your word use and whether or not it'll be understood the right way or not. These days, we have a lot of talk about being too politically correct and all that kind of stuff. The thing is, political correctness is there for a reason. It's there to ensure that the communication happens without people getting pissed off. And in most cases, uh, being careful about how you use language is not you know, sheltering people from anything or uh, uh, weakening your own message. It's simply communicating in a better way. There are different ways of saying everything, and you can communicate almost any message without offending people unless the message in itself is offensive. Choose language that you know isn't going to be confrontational so that you don't end up colluding the message. After all, what you're doing is trying to to create a solution that communicates with people. The second you uh, derail that communication by using language that doesn't jive well with a specific group of people, you're ruining the purpose of your site. Your site was there to communicate a message, and if the message goes off the tracks, then you're not doing your job properly. The web is global. We need to consider the people who actually use it. And finally, remember to make no assumptions about affordability or uh, intuitive interfaces. Sorry, affordance and intuitive interfaces. Because when we build things, we can't assume people actually understand what they work. And it's not just because the design is bad. It could also be for cultural reasons. Um, One very practical example I've seen is a lot of uh, web interfaces now assume that people are right-handed, so they have swipe gestures that work really well if you're using the right hand on a phone. What about people with left hands? The affordance that is designed into something that assumes you can swipe right very easily is an affordance based on right-handedness. It's also an affordance based on people that have no problems with the right hand for any reason, like holding a cup of coffee or a baby or anything else in their hand and having to use the left hand. Any assumption you make about your end user is actually an encumbrance. If you assume your end user is using a phone, you're encumbering everyone who's not using a phone. If you assume your user, the end user knows what the hamburger menu means, you're creating an encumbrance for anyone who doesn't know what that means. If you're assuming people who go to your website are all sighted, you're encumbering anyone who uses the extra speech reader and so on. Make no assumptions about the people who use the application and make no assumptions about their reliance on affordance or intuitive interfaces or obvious interactions. Remember that tree I talked about in the very beginning? When I say the word tree, we all think of a tree, but the image in our head changes depending on who we are. If you want people to think of a specific tree, you have to describe that tree. Mine is as tall as tree houses. It has a white trunk with black lines and circles and knobs and damage on the trunk. It's thin and lanky and leans a bit to the right And in the summer, the green leaves hang off it like the hairs on a limp brush. In the fall, they turn bright yellow before they fall off. See? Now the tree in your head is much closer to the tree in my head. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned to more awesome content from Matt and his podcast.